MotoGP's back in Germany, and unfortunately the phrase beaten down rung loud over the course of the weekend. It's Fabio's to lose. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. You know what this feels like right now? This feels like the old Nico Rosberg fire meme in the background. Like, is this MotoGP championship over? Right, finger point to the corner. Welcome to episode 374 of Motorsport 101. And uh, we're not going to lie, folks. We're a bit deflated on this one. A bit like Francesco Bagnaia's title hopes. Because... Uh, we were gearing up for an exciting German Grand Prix, you know, not too much motorsport on this weekend, you know, Germany's back, we had nearly 100,000 in attendance, because Germany loved their bikes, and the main event was over in basically four minutes, <laughs> that, was, uh, that wasn't fun, but uh, hey, we get to talk about the remnants of what was a once great title fight. <laughs> King, how are we feeling over there? Uh, pretty good, pretty good. Um, slightly disappointed the race only lasted effectively three laps. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you and me both, you and me both. Cam, how's it going over there, my man? Um, I'm feeling better. They, 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 they've almost let you out of quarantine. <laughs> yep, I'm, I'm almost out, and uh, I, I've stepped out back into the world. To bury Honda under 10,000 tons of malice. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. We'll, we'll get into that over the course of this one because, uh, yeah, there's not very many good feelings coming out of Germany across the sport. Like, this was, this was a 4 out of 10 race. There was barely any tweets regarding this. We all just like, let's just pack our shit and get out of here, basically, because this was... Uh, this was not a fun one um, at all. You know, the race itself was drab. Fabio completely dominated again. We were trying to, to almost like tease ourselves into it because he gambled on a more aggressive tire, but nothing happened. He's, he's just that good. It, it, just, it just doesn't matter with Fabio at this point. Um, the one man who could have beaten him crashed it three laps in and... Two of the three of us on the show are Honda fans, and we left with one of the most unfortunate bits of history in the history of MotoGP snapped. We'll get into that later regarding Honda's failures. We'll talk about some of the bikes in general, some of the technical problems we've had over the course of this week, and we, we have to talk about Honda. Honda, for the first time in 654 Grand Prix. In Grand Prix motorcycle racing, left the round without scoring. If you're keeping track, 1982. Yeah. That was the last time Honda didn't score any points in a MotoGP race. Um, and uh, that was due to boycott, not, a, not of their own volition. Well, kind yeah, of their of, own volition. Of yeah. their own volition, you have to go back to 1981. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not pretty. On this one, not at all. We'll 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 try to make some sense of the wreckage later on in the show. But in the meantime, here are some places you can find us if you want to hit some more of us. We're on youtube.com forward slash motorsport101 or on facebook.com forward slash motorsport101 or on Twitter at motorsport underscore one. If you want to follow us on our personal accounts, 
you can at Harrison 101 HD, at Ryan Eric King, at C Buckley 917. Um, you can also follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash motorsport101 underscore. You can follow us on there for updates on content. You can follow us on Instagram as well, motorsport101 pod. And all of that and reviews of this and the Formula One's Canadian Grand Prix is up on the website as well, motorsport101.com. All of our links and all of our content are on there as well. So check that out if you do get a chance. Whew. Let's let's get into how the German Grand Prix all fell apart. Next on Motorsport 101. Well, fellas, that was an intriguing Grand Prix and until it wasn't. There was some hope for a competitive fight. Francesco Bagnai did break the all-time lap record. He was the first man ever under 1 minute 20. Round the Saxon ring, qualified on pole, was immediately passed into turn 1 by Fabio, who took a big old gamble on the brakes, got to turn 1. Bagnai was immediately in plan B mode. He tried to respond, did briefly. Fabio got back, got back in front of him, Bagnaia tries too hard, crashes the bike on the first corner in lap three, and you could tell, like, we, we were watching this on Discord, the mood just sank after that. We were like, well, well that's, that's, that, that shit's fucked, <laughs> basically, on that one. Johan Zarco tried to stay with Quattararo and couldn't, um, and yeah, Fabio would go on to win at a canter, really. Um, he was the only big runner on the medium rear tyre, and he just... Left left the field for dead, essentially. But we're going to talk a little bit about Bagnaia first and foremost. He still thinks he's got an outside chance at this title. He still thinks he can play catch-up here. For those who have not checked the scoreboard, it doesn't make for pleasant reading. He is now 91 points behind the championship lead. He's almost been outscored 2-1 to one by Fabio through 10 rounds. This is like, for those who don't know, this is the halfway point of the season, by the way. We are now 10 rounds in. With 10 to go, we have one more race before the summer break at Assen for the TT next weekend. But with 10 down, Bagnaia is 91 off the top. He still thinks he can come back and challenge for the title. Is it over for the Ducatis, guys? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> it doesn't matter if he has one lap pace. Like Setting the absolute track record is pretty much pointless if you can't ride all 40 laps of the German Grand Prix. <laughs> And this is the this has been the ongoing problem with Pecco. I mean, the sample size was too small, <laughs> too small last year. We thought he got it out of his system, but he didn't. It's annoying because, like, I was on the Discord, and a couple of friends of mine on our on our server were very damning of Banyai's chances. They thought Fabio was going to cake Borges, and I thought, no, no, I was give, I was still... <laughs> yeah, honestly, I was still giving Banyai the benefit of that, saying, well, you know, he won a tense one in Jerez, he won a tense one at Mugello, and I was like, well, you know, he can do it. There's, there's no doubt he can do it. I, I think he'll take the lead through turn one, and, you know, Quadraro no, won't be able to pass him, and I think Banyai can win another one like this. And, and um... Whoops. <laughs> oh, I had egg on my face four minutes into the race. And I immediately said, yep, yeah, uh, JB, you called it. Well, well done, buddy. Well, well, well done, King. Well done, Cat, everybody. Well, everybody that said Fabio, well done. Um, I left to go take an angry piss afterwards. So I'm just like... <laughs> <sighs> I mean, 
this is who Francisco Bagnaia is. He's spectacularly fast, but very error prone. Uh, it doesn't matter how many wins you reel off, and it doesn't matter how many fastest laps you set and pulls you get. When your ceiling is wins and your floor is gravel. Yeah. Because conversely, Fabio Quattararo, his ceiling is wins and his his floor is like fifth or sixth place. Yeah. He's only finished off the podium once in the last six races. And that was yeah. fourth at Le Mans. And that was a track where he really couldn't pass. Which we'll get, yeah. which we'll get into more of in a bit. But... Like this was meant to be like the weak spot for Fabio because we we've just come off the back of two power tracks, Mugello and Catalunya, big straights, lot of power. You know, this was where he was meant to struggle. But I, I still stand by the fact that I think a lot of people completely underestimated how good he is at Catalunya. First and foremost, like people have forgotten how good he was there. Like, oh yeah, you know, Alain will win it, no problem. Like, first of all. You know how wacky it is to have gotten to a point where Elasia Spagaro winning is not a surprise. <laughs> I just want yeah. to point out how wacky that still is at this point, like, even though he's actually won a race now. And Germany again, like all all all, all the characteristics of the track did not lean towards Yamaha on this one, and yet. Those three rounds, he's finished second, first, and first. And with Aleish finishing fourth, he's now got a 34-point championship lead. He's got a race in hand. The break's coming up next. Assen, he'll be strong. He won there last year as well, let's not forget. It was a Yamaha 1-2 here last year. Remember when Maverick was still in black and blue? Remember when Maverick wasn't a total basket case? I Although know. it has to be said, this weekend was not his fault. Uh, no. Mechanical failure put an end to his race, but... I, I, I think what people t- continue to discount is, <coughs> excuse me, is that the Yamaha is still the best cornering bike in the field because Suzuki's got is just gone off the deep end. They're just yeah. gone. Um, they're just riding it out until they exit the sport at the end of the year. Um, and it doesn't matter how much straight line speed you have when you crash the bike. Yeah, and and uh, so 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 King, how much did you look the other way when Miggy Oliveira passed Mir and then Mir immediately binned it afterwards? Oh That's God! The pass. <laughs> <laughs> King was well, just too busy reveling in the celebration. Like, oh my God, a KTM passed somebody. <laughs> well, yeah, there's not there's nothing else to celebrate at this point with KTM, considering they're now retaining riders against their will. More on that later, but uh, it's wild. Hey, on we're that not, we're not getting burned again. We're not getting burned again. Look at the guy in the Pramac. We're not getting burned again. <laughs> you get burned. At, you get burned every time that engine fires up in that shit box. Oh dear. I mean, he's not wrong. To be fair, I mean, I said it in my notes here. I'm not even sure Fabio will drop 91 points between now and the end of the season let alone having Banyaya reel him in. Banyaya could run the table for the rest of the year, and I'm not convinced he'd win the championship. Yeah, because not only do you have to start actually finishing races and winning races, you need to start putting a serious amount of points into Fabio Cotteraro's lead on a week-in, week-out basis. I don't see anyone doing that. 
Fabio, he just isn't going to drop. At worst, he's going to drop like 10 points on a given weekend. That's at the worst. Mm. That'll get you nine races. Yeah. Yeah. And the only man who's shown even a shred of consistency is Elijah Spargaro. And even he, he needs to start winning races and he can't do it. Like, he's third is about the ceiling of LH right now, and you're not going to win the title doing that unless Fabio starts binning it, and he's not doing that. He's not done it all year. There's no reason to. He has no reason to override at this point, because he's got a, he's got by all accounts a safe lead in the championship. About as safe as you can have at this point of the year. I've literally got in my notes here, Ducati's number one rider at the moment is Johan Zarco. Yeah. Whose floor is like top five, but whose ceiling is also top five. <laughs> Second today, his best result of the year, alongside Portimao, his fifteenth career podium, but no wins, which is just the Zarco experience at this point. But he's still eleven points better than Bastianini, who again was tenth. Just couldn't get the couldn't get last year's bike working again. Um, it's. The state of Ducati is just fucking weird at this point. I mean, again, we joke about it. Um, the, the man who's leaving, Jack Miller, who we now know is going to KTM next year, has the same amount of points Bagnaia does. And he was on the podium today. Had a great race. Great race. So if, if it wasn't for the long lap penalty he got for binning it under yellows, he might have had a chance of at least second on the yeah. You know, good to see some form <laughs> from Miller and... Like, I, I love the fact that Jack went all the way out to the support road just so he could f- throw some gloves at a super fan. I love Jack Miller. What a guy. <laughs> we, can we keep him? <laughs> like, he's great. Um, nope, but- he's, he's going to get to go to KTM and finish 14th every weekend. <laughs> Not that bad at KTM. Jesus. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like, Brad Binder. Like, again, sneakily out of nowhere, King. Fifth in the championship right now. Love to see it. <laughs> I mean, in, in all fairness, it's just uh, like with, for KTM, it's pretty much roughly start where you qualify, where where you just run the race, do the laps, usually maybe pass one, two bikes to get up the road, people further up the road crash, and it's just you know just consistent solid finishes because you're not getting anything else out of that bike. KTM, the Mercedes Benz of MotoGP. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> oh man! A couple of years ago, I'd be like, I'd love that. <laughs> I bet you would. <laughs> and to be fair to Binder, he started fifteenth and finished seventh on the day, so he passed some fucking bikes, eight of them. You know, it's it's, it's a start. We're getting somewhere. Yeah, he has one point more than both factory Ducatis, and then. Get your jokes in at home. Both Suzuki's are on 69 points. Nice. Nice. <laughs> you know how weird a situation it is when both factory Suzuki's have as many points as Alicia Spargaro combined? Oh, dear God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> combined, Suzuki as a team is equal to Alicia Spargaro. That sentence just came out of my mouth. And it was not exaggerated or lied Alicia upon. Spargo, who got demolished by Maverick Vinales on the same bike at Suzuki. Yeah. This is what we call character development. Yeah. And like you mentioned, poor Maverick is like, 
this race was funky. It had two rear rear ride device failures because Maverick had one and Alex Marquez had one too. Um, just wacky, wacky race. And in terms of the race itself, fellas, I mean, let's be honest here. This wasn't your classic MotoGP. We didn't even have a fight for the lead. I mean, even... The tense ones like Magello and Heref, where you can see, okay, maybe maybe Fabio tries a lunge for the win somewhere or something along those lines. Nothing. Barely any passes on track. Um, large gaps in the field. Not an awful lot of even close racing. <clears throat> Podium probably, I would say, decided on unforced errors more than anything else. Um Right. How much? How much of this was on Germany, and how much of it was on the bikes themselves? Because it's 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 a it's a funky combo when you think about it, right? I think it was kind of a perfect storm of all of them. Because first of all, we had uh, exceptionally high temperatures, yeah. uh, like record high temperatures, making it just they're just killing the tires. Thirty-five know degrees these... in the air and fifty-two on track. <sighs> yeah, and, and at that point, we know how sensitive these tires are, uh, even when the temperatures aren't that high. So you mix that with a track that isn't really like the best as far as bike to bike battles historically. It's not a passing track. No. And you throw in the the amount of arrow that these bikes are carrying now. Uh, Aprilia rocking up with a literal ground effect fairing. Yeah. Ground effects on a bike. Ground effects on a bike. Uh, Thankfully, no porpoising. (laughs) Um... They have, they, they, have, they have the ride height device for that. <laughs> and, and somewhere Toto is now sneaking into a uh, sneaking into an Italian factory. <laughs> it's just... <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's a perfect storm to make a race that was not that exciting as far as bike-to-bike action. Yeah, I mean... It's one of those stark realizations where it's like, I was in the middle of watching that race, and it was just like about halfway through, my brain just said to myself, "I'm watching a Formula One race. This isn't good." Um, what summed it up for me, and I don't know if you remember this, Karen, was the Miller versus Aspargaro fight for third, and how Miller was probably the faster man, and Every time he tried to pass Alicia Spargaro under braking at turn one, getting the toe off the back of the Aprilia, which is by no means a slow bike in a straight line anymore. Every time he tried, he overcooked the, the, the brakes coming into turn one, and he would run wide, and Alicia would come through. This happened yeah. three times over the <clears> course <throat> of the race, and it's, 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 I mean, you could sum it up, Cam. I mean, it's it's just these bikes can't follow each other now. No, it's too much arrow. The tires are too sensitive. And certain track layouts are going to exacerbate that a little bit. And this is one of them. Um, Stop me if you've heard any of this before about another top flight racing series. (laughs) And, uh, I mean, we have to issue a small apology for the last uh, MotoGP episode where, Mm. you know, Taka Nakagami was back. Um, spoke at length about his crash, mm. admitted that he himself deserved a penalty. Good job, Freddie Spencer. <laughs> um, but also talked about the fact that one of the reasons why he crashed is because the slipstream was so powerful into turn one that he didn't have any load on the front of his bike. 
almost like trying to uh, trying to outbreak someone while in dirty air, because that's exactly what it was. Yeah, with all with all the bikes in front of him, and it was it's a long run to to turn one in Catalonia. You're already going at about 160 miles an hour by the time you're hitting the brakes. So by that point, it turns out he had no stopping power. Like, and he if spent what Spencer said after Catalonia was true that. Saka hit the brakes in line of everybody else. He might have done. He, he was probably right when he said that, but because of the slipstream coming off the back of the bikes, he had no stopping power, and that's partly what led to his accident. It's crazy. Like, and we now saw that in real time with Jack Miller trying to pass Alicia Spargaro and then just not being able to do it. It was terrifying to watch in real time. The only reason that Miller ended up third in the end, I don't think he would have passed him, really, was the fact that Alex did the same thing himself in, in, in clean air in front of him. And that's and that's what coughed up the third. And so- Well, now what you've more or less got is, uh, initially the, the wings were basically pure wheelie control. Mm. Now you've, you've got the ride height devices to do that for you. Mm. So now you're increasingly using your arrow to actually help, um, actually help turn the bike, actually you know, use it the way arrow would be used in a traditional, like a car setting. It's, it's, it's still wacky how we're talking about MotoGP bikes this way. Everything's gotten too quick now. Like, I think it's on one thing, it will never not be impressive to me to watch a MotoGP bike go around the Saturn ring in under 80 seconds. But Germany brought out the worst in what the sport is right now. It's just, it's, it, it, it's beginning to actively damage the racing product. It has. I mean, okay, gentlemen, let, let, let me ask you a question. What was the best MotoGP race we've had this season? Ooh. We've had 10. I can't really think of a standout. Other like maybe Coda, and that's only because we had someone extremely out of place cut back through the field. Because yeah. my first thought was Coda. Yeah, I, if I didn't say Coda, I'd probably say Argentina. Sure. I I genuinely can't remember Argentina. Like I I can't remember any big exciting weekends. Yeah. We've not had... Because the thing is, right, a MotoGP season normally for us would have at least one 9 or 10 out of 10 race. It's almost a given. Like There will always be at least one, sometimes two MotoGP races in our Race of the Year contender at the Motorsport 101 Awards. It, it always comes up. Like Either it's a chaos race, like we got for like Austria when Brad Binder won on Slicks, or there's some ridiculous scrap that leads to a race being an all-time classic. We've not had that this year. We've not had like a 10 out of 10 race. Like, I would say Coates is probably the best one we've had in that sense. And that's, again, mitigating circumstances. We had an outlier in that Marquez was forced to come from the back of the field. And, you know, straight bike power advantage got over any of the shortcomings that these bikes have. And Bastianini essentially won on tire saving more than anything else. Um, it was a relatively straightforward race at the front. Like, you look at some of the on-track fights we've had this year between, I think, Banyaya and Quadraro, which I think it's fair to say are the two fastest guys in the field. They've not passed each other. 
Like, it's been one following the other for the most part. Like, we saw it in Magello. Like, Cordoraro was just trying to stay in range. And Haref, again, Cordoraro stays in range, tries to get around him, can't, but can't, can't <coughs> take a realistic pass. And it was Haref, ironically, where we first started talking about tire pressures and the fact that the teams were illegally going underneath them. And, you know, the fact that the bikes now generate all this pressure on the front tyre. The fact that it's like, as Cam alluded to a minute ago, it's like the perfect storm of situations have come around now that have made the product actively bad. Like, front tyres are worse anyway because of Michelin. Now the pressures <laughs> are going up because of all the aero that are on these bikes. The aero that probably should... I mean, I said it years ago, the aero was like Pandora's box. Like... Like, are we sure we want to go down this road? Yeah, you cross that line, you're never coming back. Yeah. Uh, you know what? You know how it feels uh, similar to me is the 2018 F1 season. Mm. Early on when those cars were going as fast as they ever had. We had just extraordinary front wing designs. Mm. Um, bits on bits attached to bits, glued to bits. And yeah. we had extremely sensitive um, thing gauge rubber tires that if you push on them they would just melt yeah that was the shark fin era wasn't it like 2018 wasn't it like well, that, yeah, that it was, was it was the year it was the last year of the complex front wings yeah like the super aggressive aero era that you know because everybody complained that the hybrids were going too slow and they were like well, you know we could speed it up by you know getting more aero flexibility and that went well yeah. didn't it yeah, yeah, you handed Mercedes an advantage on a silver platter. Um, but even then, all the aero complexity, and it plays in as well here, if you ban aero complexity in one place, it will just move somewhere else. You have to you have to just kill it off all at once. Because in F1, we simplified the front wings, we simplified the rear wings, so all of the complexity moved to the barge boards and the brake ducts. And now we've got Ground effect aero in MotoGP, winglets everywhere, like ridiculous pressure on front tires <coughs> where even the most standard overtakes are now win it or bin it situations. Um, which you know we've, yeah, we've you already got, you've got a perfect you've got a perfect storm of a combination between too much aero and tires that are too sensitive. And now we're going to tracks like the Saxon Ring where passing's already hard. And now it was already already tire critical on one side of the tire. Yeah, because it's it's a clockwise track, but really it's an anti-clockwise track because three quarters of the lap you're turning left. Um, it's it, it was the perfect storm of bad situation. And to be fair, if I'm defending MotoGP just a little bit on this one, they were beaten downs in all three classes this weekend. It wasn't just in the top flight. Obviously, <clears throat> Fernandez won the Moto2 race by about seven seconds. Isaac Guevara dominated Moto3 and won by about three seconds. It just was not a good day for racing in general. Um, but when we've already talked a lot about the issues in, in that are cropping up in MotoGP year on year, I mean, they are banning the front ride height shapeshifters next year. I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. I, I don't think. Uh, I, I think that is, I think that's trying to take away some of the manufacturer's toys. I don't think it's going to have such a big difference as far as the actual racing product that we see. 
It's what what do you think before we move on with that then? What do you think would fix it then, Cam? Um first of all, Michelin, build better tires. That would help. Um, because the Bridgestone front tire was a tank. It didn't matter what you put it through, it would just bulldoze through it. Mm. Um and hate to say it. Probably cut the winglets off the bikes. So just scrap all aero entirely like that. As far as winglets, yeah, but the, like things like the Aprilia ground effect fairing, because that's just the generalized shape of the fairing. Uh, that something like that would be really difficult to ban. <laughs> yeah, because I think there was loopholes made about as long as it's part of the chassis, it's okay. Basically, when when these well, it, it has to be enclosed. About. It has yeah. to be enclosed, which is why none of the wings are freestanding. They all have uh, kind, of, kind of an additional section that wraps back around into the fairing. Mm. And it has to fit in a certain box. Uh, like, you literally, MotoGP takes the bikes, puts them in a rectangular space. As long as the winglets don't exceed that space, you're good. Um, I think you have to be a little bit more deliberate in the wording. But I mean... Look at look at how MotoGP has enforced this in the past. Mm. Look at the uh, the rear winglet, the 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 swing arm winglet that was introduced at the start of uh, what was it twenty nineteen, mm. and it was ruled as um, when it was announced as an aero device, it wasn't allowed. But the exact same device was then passed back through scrutineering as a brake cooling device, and it was allowed with no change to what the device actually was. They just called it a different name, and it was allowed. They just, just love motorsport politics. <laughs> God loves a loophole, doesn't he? Um, it's going to require much more deliberate wording in the technical regs. Yeah, and the teams and the sport itself are already at loggerheads over that. Like Ducati did not like the idea of the front, the front ride height, the front ride height device getting banned for next year. Like the commission, well, they introduced all this stuff. This is because they don't know how to make a bike that turns in general. Yeah, um, they've approached it from a diff from the technology and the device perspective, and that's all well and good. But now that everyone's got it, it's now actively hurting the racing product. You know, it's bad when Repsol were the one saying that this was one of the most boring seasons they've seen to date, and they need to heed caution on this. And, and this is like. Before like Marquez's surgery came around the other day, like when one of your biggest sponsors in the series is coming out talking about the product in a negative way, it's not ideal. It ain't it ain't, it ain't pretty to say the least. Speaking of Honda, oh sweet uh, Christ! <laughs> yeah, for those who didn't know this or didn't see the stats around regarding this, they reached a new low on Sunday. This was the first time. Since 1982, the French Grand Prix 1982, where they did not score a single point in a Grand Prix. Three DNFs and a 16th place finish for Stefan Brado, who was obviously replacing Marquez. He was the last bike over the line. He backed off because he literally could not run his bike in the in the path of another rider. I'll get to why in a minute. But uh, to the damage report, Takamekagami crashed early on again. Um, man's doing everything in his power not to keep his job for next year. Alex Marquez's ride height device failed. His uh, his rear ride height device locked in place, um, so which makes the bike almost unrideable. Um, 
And Polder Spagger, who, who was already carrying badly damaged ribs or bruised ribs after a crash in FP1, he was given a painkilling injection to race on Sunday, had to stop because of dizziness. And other, like the combination of the heat and the bike getting hot, he was struggling to get air into his lungs. <laughs> like, if he continued, he might have passed out, in other words, which, on a motorcycle, terrible prospect. Um, yeah, he, he, he had to stop. For his own safety, he had to stop. And, uh, yeah, Bradle, he he's, like, put into perspective, Stefan Bradle has raced with Honda in some capacity now for a better part of a decade. He's one of the most loyal Honda guys you could ever see in your life. This is what he said after the race, and I quote, It's a shame a company like Honda can't build a fairing that can cool the rider and the bike. First sentence that was, by the way. After following people for the first few corners, I couldn't brake because my right hand became so hot and I couldn't control the bike. I just tried to finish the race. It was physically more than on the limit, and I also have a burn on my right foot because it was so hot. It's not <coughs> acceptable to have this situation. We need to improve it. That part of the bike was apparently over 100 degrees Celsius. Oh my god. So in other words, you could throw boiling water, you could throw water on it and it would evaporate. Because that's it's the boiling point of that's the boiling point of water. That was where Bradle's skin was. Despite the fact he was wearing levers. I mean, it's it, it's hit the breaking point, hasn't it? When when Stefan Brodel, who is about as polite and understated a rider as does exist in this world, yeah, just classy customer. goes off his rocker at the company over how bad the bike is. Um, but let, let me put let me put into this into perspective, everyone. This is the first time has yet Honda has yet to score points in a top class Grand Prix race since the boycott of the 1982 1982 1982 French Grand Prix 40 years 40 years and not only that you actually have to go back to 1981 when they were trying to make an oval piston 8 valve per cylinder basically rolling science experiment work instead of just building a two stroke like everyone else yeah. This is how bad it was. This what? is the worst Honda has been in any of our lifetimes, in any of many of our listeners' lifetimes, and in four sets of Moto MotoGP slash 500cc top class regulations. They've never been this bad. And... I literally wrote a thread about this on Twitter yesterday, as I, as I record this. Breaking down the timeline of just how we got to this point, because a lot of people was... Like, it's the sort of stat... You know, they had, like, Honda is associated with bike racing, even beyond... like It's their lifeblood. It's, it's their lifeblood. It's where the Honda company was born, more or less. Yeah, like it was the one thing they decided to keep doing when the credit crunch of 2008 landed and they quit F1. Like, they were considering quitting MotoGP, but they said it was in the honor of their founders to keep going. Like, like this, like, Honda is motorcycle been racing. Shit. 
is Honda. Yeah. It's their lifeblood. It's everything to them. And they've never been this bad. Ever. Like, like you break down how we got to this point with Puig, the Pedrosa, the Pedrosa shock firing, the Lorenzo replacements, the... The, the, the bike's getting more and more aggressive towards one rider, and then that one rider getting yeeted off it and, and breaking his arm, which honestly was probably overdue for Mark Marquez's career and how extreme everything he is deals with when it comes to MotoGP. And the three years since then where nothing has really gone to plan, like, I, I, we joked about it yesterday, Cam. Jorge Lorenzo faked a retirement because he didn't want to race for this bike anymore. <laughs> he, a five-time World Riders champion who, let's not forget, had some of the most brutal injuries you can imagine, had himself rebuilt, put back together, and got back on the bike. He faked his own retirement to get out. Yeah. Because almost as soon as his non-compete clause... I sound like a wrestling fan saying that. As soon as his non-compete clause expired, he was like, I'm going to go be a Yamaha test rider and ambassador and work with Valentino. His sworn enemy! <laughs> For years! It's, it's the price of complacency where just over and over every year they built a bike that didn't really work, but they had Mark Marquez who could make the bike work, who they could... Put a massively overpowered engine in and not fix the rest of the bike and say, you're Marquez, you're good enough, you go ride it. And then it finally bit back in 2020. The other rider who was on that factory bike in 2020, they had already moved out of the team before they turned a wheel in anger. Alex Marquez, a two-time world champion, let's not, let's not forget. <laughs> yeah, uh, already got the vote of no confidence from from Honda management before they had even raced. Yeah, Qatar then, comes and goes, and then they immediately say, "Oh, it's going to Oceania next year." Yeah, and then you have uh, uh, Alberto who boots out Danny Pedrosa, the guy who he scouted as a child, the guy who he sacrificed Nikki Hayden for. Nikki yeah. Hayden having just won you the first championship since Rossi's departure. And the words, I, I'm struggling to put it into words because when Mark broke his arm, in theory, that's, you know, a, a couple months out, he gets back on the bike, the year's a wash, and you come back next year. No. Alberto knew what was going to happen. And he did not stop Mark from getting back on that bike. And these are motorcycle riders. You're not going to stop them unless you sit them down and say, you're not riding this bike. That's just how they're wired. They, that's how they've been wired for decades now. Mm -hmm. And he didn't because he knew that without Mark, Honda was hopeless in 2020. Five days after it was broken, he gets back on the bike and he, he bends the plate and the plate breaks. And we're now three years removed. Alberto's urging Mark to rush back as soon as he can so he can test next year's bike. No! For what? For whom? For him. Because 
Alberto's job has to be on the chopping block. It has to be. There's how is he still employed? Good faith. Good faith in the fact he's probably not been deemed responsible for the Marquez crash. That that's, that's, that is there any other reason why Preach still has a job at this point, or is not even in line to get his job? I've not even heard a hint that Puig might lose his job for this. We were talking about Lynn Jarvis potentially losing his job at Yamaha until Quattuara won the title last year. We we have fucking we we had Yamaha issuing public apologies to Maverick Vinales and Valentino Rossi. Every time you bring it up to Alberto, he just goes, "Oh well, we're Honda Motor Company. We know what we're doing." Do you? Do you? They're, Mark Marquez is still leading their rider standings right now. He hasn't raced in a couple weeks. He already missed a couple races earlier in the year. And when he was racing, the humerus in his arm had rotated 30 degrees and he could barely ride the bike. And he's still 20 points better than Paul Spargo this year. Paul Spargo, who you set fire to the entirety of the old RC213V to rebuild it as per Paul's specifications. And he's done jack shit with it. Because if anything, you've only made the bike worse. You know, since we got to Europe, they've done nothing of note. And you took the one X factor the old bike had, which was actual lap time if you could make it work. If you could make it work, the old bike could be fast, even though it was trying to rip your head off. Now the bike still wants to rip your head off, it's not reliable, it cooks you, and it's slow. There's no upside here. Is there anything redeemable about Honda at this point in time, gentlemen? Anything? I, I don't think so. Take your time. I mean... <laughs> I mean... The fact that, you know, the surgery, by all accounts, was a success. Mark, uh, for the first time... Mark says, uh, in a long time, he's not in any pain. Yeah, because he was on painkillers before the, before before that fourth surgery. Yeah, he says he's not in any pain right now. That should be great news for, uh, well, him and him only. Mm. But that's it, it should be a year out. He should be back maybe for the Valencia test and no sooner. If they try to rush him back earlier than that, Dre... If they try to rush him back earlier than that, and he has a problem, he re-injures himself. He's done. the 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 great Quite Mark possible. Marquez is the great Mark Marquez's story ends there. They, they they have been so blessed with the amount of rider time they've had, and they got Marquez, who was arguably the greatest bike racer I've ever seen in my life. And the status report I put at the end of the thread was: you've butchered three years of Marquez's prime. He's, he's 30 in February. You've butchered three years of his prime. You don't have a single quality rider left in your reserves worth a damn. I mean, Paul Spigero is likely going to the worst team in the sport right now, and that's Tech 3 next year. You know, who have got rider management issues out the arse of, of their own at the moment, and they're going to hire... I say KTM should be happy this section isn't about them, because I, <laughs> they, we could go at for days about the problems with KTM. Yeah, that's... Um, Tucker is almost certainly gone. Alex Marquez is hanging on by a thread. And there's probably talk- gone. Probably gone. They're talking to Alex Rins. Alex, if you're listening, don't go there. Don't go to LCR. Like save yourself. Oh, okay? 
like don't, don't say, go to LCR. You, you have to look at the potential LCR lineup for next year of Alex Renz and Ayagura. That's a hell of a lineup, and they're not going to be able to do anything. Yeah, the bikes are clunker. You know, so they've got no quality riders worth a damn that's healthy right now. Their second and third guys are the, arguably as bad as anybody in the sport. And I'm talking like Yamaha bad right now. You know, with Warba Daddy Binder and a retiring Dovi coming up around the corner. And your bike is dreadful. It's the worst bike in the field. Honda, right now, are bottom of the Constructors' Championship. 140 points behind Ducati. And Ducati's issues are well documented. Yeah, and Ducati, despite that, they've still had a bike on the podium every race this season. Yeah. Um, it, it, Alberto Puig has... It, it, I'll, I'll use the quote from your, uh, your article on the website yesterday. He has set fire to everything good that Livio Supo had created. There's nothing good here left. Yeah, look back at 2019, right? What did Marquez have? 420 points? Oh, it's one of the greatest seasons in motorsport history. In any, maybe in- maybe the greatest. I can't think of one better. Short, maybe like Mick Dewan's 1997. That's yeah. the level we're at at this point. Yeah. Um, Lorenzo at 28. Because you hire a five-time world champion, and you make no effort, zero, to help him adapt to the bike. It's a mess. It's and and in mess. his leaving, in his retiring, again, to escape more than anything else, they have no rider depth. They have no bike. And Mark Marquez, bless his heart, please just heal. Take your time and come back at 100% because we know it doesn't matter what they put him on. If he's at 100%, he'll win. He'll run the field over. Could you imagine as well, Honda has tossed... 75 million pounds of salary into a black hole with Marquez's contract. Yeah. 75 million. Such is Honda's dependence on him. Yeah. That they know even dumping dozens of millions of dollars into a rider who isn't riding right now is their best chance at coming back to the top. Absolutely crazy scenes. But hey, it can only get better for Honda, right? Right. Oh, man, I mean, like, how does it get better? Like, the 2010s for Honda was another world. They, what, they won, of the riders and teams championships in both, they won, like, eight out of the ten in that decade. Like, it, you can't really picture a way back to that. Like, even... Not, not if, from right now. Yeah, e- even Marquez comes back healthy, starts winning races again, there's no way they can get that kind of dominance as a team back. No, it's like it's since 2015, they've been coasting on Marquez and Marquez purely. And in 2020, uh, building a bike that had was even more problematic than the 2019 one, it ripped his head off and broke his arm. And they've had, and he's still the only guy who was even remotely looking like he could win races on it. He did. He won three races with what we know now was a badly compromised arm. Yeah. That's your hope. That's it. That's all that, That's all it is. Good luck, Honda. You're going to need it. 
MotoGP will be back this weekend for the last round before the summer break. It's the Assen TT. Please, for the love of God. If, if Assen ends up being mid, we might as well just take the rest of the year off, honestly. Like, the Assen TT. Are we, we going to put an embargo on it like we did World Superbike when Alvaro Bautista was going apeshit? <laughs> I don't think we're at that levels of desperate yet, but Jesus. If there is one round that always delivers, it's Assen. Please, dear God, give us a good Assen TT. Otherwise, this season is entirely balked. Um, please, for the love of God. Right, we've, let's get out of here. Basically, you can find us one more time. We're on YouTube and Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. or on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. Our personal handles at Harrison101HD for me, at Ryan Eric King and CBuck917. Um, we have our Instagram page as well, Motorsport101Pod, our Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Motorsport101 underscore, and all of those details and more, and some more written words from me about this and Formula One's Canadian Grand Prix up on the website, Motorsport101.com. Click the blog section for the, for the written stuff, podcasts, all that. All of that content is on there. Very easy to find. We'll be back for Formula One's Canadian Grand Prix, or as I like to call it, Max Verstappen throws the hammer again and again and again. <laughs> he can't stop winning. We can't beat this guy. It's ridiculous. Anyway, I've been Dre Harrison. They've been Ryan Eric King and Cam Buckley. Until then, sayonara. Bye. Man, the only thing with an HRC sticker on it that's actually winning is painted matte blue. <laughs> and they're taking no credit for it. <laughs> All of the work, none of the credit. Good job, Honda.